Hey everybody, Michael Cohen here, welcoming you back to another episode of Cohen's Corner. Thank you very much for tuning in to today's show. As always, you can find episodes of this podcast available on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Alexa, and just about anywhere else you listen to shows. So if you happen to be listening on an Apple device, we encourage you to leave a star rating, preferably five stars if you like the show, and maybe a comment with some feedback or what you might like to hear in future episodes down the road. I check all the comments and feedback myself, and it's awesome to hear from so many of you, and I'm very appreciative for all the listeners we've been able to build in this 25 episodes and this now being our 26th episode, and hopefully we can keep that going. Today's guest is ESPN and CBS play-by-play broadcaster Beth Mowens, who has quickly earned a reputation for being one of the best play-by-play voices in the business and continues to be a pioneer for female sports media members everywhere as she carves out her own niche in a predominantly male business. Beth joined the worldwide leader of sports, ESPN, in 1994, and since then you've probably heard her voice or seen her in a variety of stadiums, arenas, and press boxes around the country because she's done just about everything you can do as a play-by-play broadcaster. She's done college basketball, college football, softball, soccer, volleyball, the NFL. She's the voice of the Women's College World Series and the Women's NCAA Tournament. And in 2017, she became the first woman to broadcast an NFL game in 30 years and the first woman ever to do a national broadcast for an NFL game when she called the Chargers and Broncos in the Monday Night Football season opener in 2017. Prior to joining ESPN, Beth was a tremendous athlete in her own right. She was a three-sport star at Cicero North Syracuse High School in Syracuse, New York, playing basketball, softball, and soccer. She became a Division I point guard at Lafayette College, where she was a three-time all-conference performer, a 1,000-point scorer, and still has the school record for assists with 715. After college, she proceeded to matriculate at Syracuse University, where she earned her master's degree in broadcasting and began to carve out a role for herself as one of the defining female voices in an industry dominated by men. Beth was quickly hired by the worldwide leader of sports, as I mentioned, in 1994, and the rest is history. You've probably seen her and heard her all over the place because she's become one of the best sports broadcasters in the country, and I was really excited to have her as a guest this week to pick her brain about what it's like to be a pioneer for so many young women everywhere trying to break into the business, how she approaches her craft, and what some of the proudest moments of her career have been. So I think you guys will really enjoy this podcast. And without further ado, let's get into a conversation with play-by-play broadcaster Beth Mowens. Well, Beth, thank you so much for taking the time to join me. I know you had a busy weekend, as you do most weekends this time of the year. I know you were in Provo uh, calling a game between BYU and Western Kentucky, and I'm sure you're very glad, like many of us, that college football is back and that there are games to be had. And how has it felt for you to, to be back in the booth these last couple of weeks? Well, you know, Michael, it's been a, a kind of a wild ride for, for most of us. And uh, just like, you know, the, the teams and the players and coaches and fans, we're all kind of adapting on the fly as well. Uh, you know, I've done a couple of games uh, in person where we're, you know, traveling and hitting the road. And then I've also done a couple of games from a home studio, including this past weekend. You know, we were in our home studios. Actually, I were working with Kirk Morrison this year. And we're both in Southern California, about 10 minutes away from one another uh, on our home kits. <laughs> um, and, and so that, that's an adjustment. And, uh, you know, you just you, you try as best you can to make the most of it and, and put in the work to prepare it as if you always would. And, 
and it's it's a little bit uh, different feeling when you're you're sitting in your home office as opposed to the press box. But uh, you know we we do what we do to to get through and and hopefully provide uh, as educational and, and entertaining a broadcast as, as we usually do. You know, I wanted to ask you about the difference between calling a game when you're on location and calling a game, you know, from a, a studio spot. And I have kind of two questions along those lines. I guess the first one would be when it comes to your specific role as the play-by-play person, are you doing anything different when you're not able to see and hear and, you know, smell and use all the different senses that we have that you would if you were in the press box and then second, uh, what is the interplay like between you and an analyst when you guys are not even in the same room sometimes? Yeah, I, I think that second one is the biggest adjustment you have to make. So instead of um, in in the press box, me and, and my stat guy and my spotter and then the analyst, we're all there and it's a, you know, somewhat of a choreographed dance that we do um, passing notes back and forth, stats back and forth, our uh, sort of nonverbal communication as to who's coming in and out of the game, who made a tackle, who might have recovered the fumble, things like that. And just the the nonverbal cues that we pick up from one another, play-by-play and analysts, the eye contact, the um, you know the universal sign for holding your finger up in the air and saying, hey, I've got something I can add. Uh, th- those little things you miss from not being there in person and certainly the sights and sounds of, of the game, as you referenced. The other big difference is uh, we're, we're pretty far away from from the action, and so binoculars become a very important ally sure. as a uh, play-by-play announcer when you're up in the press box, sometimes quite a great distance away. And so when you're working from home, you lose all of those abilities and you also lose the opportunity to sort of see what's happening around the play and you are reliant completely on what you can see on your monitor. We'll have a separate um, laptop computer on the desk in front of us where I can see my analyst, I can see the all 22 or the end zone look, but they're very small in, in the monitor. So that's one adjustment that you have to make. And then the, the other thing is working from home. My spotter is actually on a monitor and my stat guy is on a monitor. So instead of just looking at each other and communicating with little pieces of paper or pointing, um, if I'm live, Michael, I'm calling the game looking at the field and I'm calling the game looking at the program monitor. When I'm home, you have to add a stat monitor, a spotter monitor, an analyst monitor. So yeah, the challenge is to make sure you are still um, following the game and keeping an eye on that program monitor, but you also have um, these other monitors that you you have to follow along with to get your information that that's probably the biggest adjustment from home did you have a lot of experience with these sort of remote broadcasts prior to everything that's gone on with COVID-19 no that is all new so even you know we're during the week talking you know I'm, I'm talking with my stat guy I'm talking with my spotter how can we do things different how can we make it better um you know, it's a lot more mechanical stuff as opposed to um, 
you know, the uh, sort of strategic approach to the game. So you, you have to carve out a little more time during the week to prepare for just the mechanics of the home studio um, as, as well as the, your game prep. You know, one of the things that I always find interesting is whenever a new season starts, some of the questions that are always asked of players, coaches, etc., is what did you do to stay sharp? What did you do to improve? What kinds of, you know, off-season studies or bodily changes did you make if you wanted to gain weight, lose weight, whatever the case may be? Um, but in some respects, I think there's an element of keeping sharp for journalists as well. I know I've talked about this on prior podcasts with some of the writers and, and uh, broadcasters I've had on where I say that, you know, in order to stay sharp as a writer and a reporter, I find that I have to read as much as I possibly can. And so I used a lot of time during the pandemic when sports were not happening to to get back into fiction for the first time. And I was reading novels and things that I didn't have an opportunity to do before. And I'm curious with your particular uh, avenue and your particular responsibilities, what did you do to try and stay sharp or, or maybe even improve during a time when you couldn't call live games for those few months earlier this year? Yeah. Well, um, ironically enough, I, I did something similar to what you did, Michael, and, and uh, was able to jump back into books. I've always been a voracious reader, and as you know, when we're you know um, shoulder deep into a college football season or basketball season or softball, you don't always get the, the free time to do that sort of stuff. So I've, I've been reading a ton of books during the pandemic. Uh, I have always been big in, in exercise. And, and as I age, uh, <laughs> you have to find different and creative ways to stay in shape that don't necessarily, you know, put a pounding on, on your body. But I, I've actually, I've gotten back into running. I used to run a lot when I was uh, younger. And, and so I've added that to my uh, workout regimen because you do, you know, it's important to stay in shape and when you feel your best and and look your best you can also sound your best and there's a confidence i think that that comes with that especially for those of those of um those of us that do do make our living on tv so that has been a big part of it and uh the other thing is you know you you spend some time talking to yourself uh watching other games on tv just sort of staying fresh you know for most of us it was probably a six-month layoff since the last time we called a game. You know, I, I didn't get a, an opportunity to call uh, the women's tournament or the, you know, most of the softball season was wiped out and, and some other things that, uh, you know, you would usually be doing calling games to stay fresh even over the summer. So that was the other challenge, just sort of, you know, staying fresh and following along with sports once it did, uh, once it did pick up again and start. When you do have a, a long layoff, whether it's, you know, between games or between seasons, or in this case, you know, certainly a very extended period of time with everything that was happening, do you find that you have to, um, you know, almost like work out your voice? Because in, in a lot of respects, it is a muscle. And to talk for three and a half hours or be talking for a long period of time on a game day and to do that every week, that's a muscle that would build up. And so to go so many weeks without it, was it strange at all to jump back in? It, it was a little odd because your your cycle is off. You know, I, I still feel right now the calendar is off, and and being a part of sports your entire life, that really is what determines what month it is for you. And okay, I know it's fall because there's football. I know it's summer because I'm watching the WNBA or or relaxing a lot more watching baseball. And so the the clock was was knocked out of whack a little bit. The calendar was, and so that was a bit of an adjustment when it restarted. Okay, I'm not 
supposed to be calling games right now, or I'm, I, I am already supposed to be calling games. I, I didn't get into football till the end of September. So usually I would, I would have Raiders training camp and Raiders preseason right. to, to be calling games. And, and by the time college football rolled around, I, I might be five or six games deep. I, I may have had an NFL on CBS game early on. So all of that changed and, and you do have to sort of make sure you're taking good care of your voice and, and, you know, even running through, you know, I sat in front of the TV and, and called like a half of a game that was on before I had an opportunity to start calling games and things like that. I bet, you know, calling a game in front of a television, just making a tape, I bet that took you back to your college days because that's exactly what all the young kids do is they sit in front of yep. a television and make their own tapes. Um, you know, back when you were that age, you know, 18, 19, obviously you were a terrific athlete, a collegiate point guard and at a Division One school. And I'm curious, when did you start to realize that sports media was something that you wanted to go into? Were you the, were you the kid that was obsessed with box scores and baseball cards and did you know right away? I, I was that kid. I, I uh, had my Mr. Microphone, and I was riding around uh, the neighborhood on my big wheel and uh, on my bike when I was a little bit older. Just um, I, I love to play games, and then I love to call games. That, that uh, is always something I've been interested in. So I, I was able to get a head start on that. Uh, my dad was a high school basketball coach, so I, I've been around the game my whole life uh you know three brothers and and all the little kids in our neighborhood we all played you know wiffle ball and kickball and that's how we passed the time back in those days before we had video games <laughs> um and, and so while i was playing i was running my mouth as well and sort of honing my craft I, it was probably in high school that i started to realize okay that play-by-play role is the most intriguing to me and had an, an awareness early on, Michael, that there weren't any women doing it, so that if I could actually carve out a little niche for myself and create that space, I, I was fortunate that when I was coming out of college, that was when they started really to put more women's sports on TV, and so if they were looking for a woman to call play-by-play, I, I, they had my number, and um, so all, all of that experience as, as a youngster and, and yeah, I had a huge, you know, baseball card collection. And I, I remember those horrible pieces of gum that used to come <laughs> in, in the packets of baseball cards. And, uh, that is how, how I passed a lot of my time. And, and I was that, that person that always wanted to do this. So as you were growing up and playing these sports, you know, basketball, softball, soccer, um, you know, what was sort of your, your first love or, and then what were you best at? And then, you know, which did you enjoy, you know, sort of experimenting with play-by-play first as you were growing up? Well, I've, I've always kind of said that, um, football is probably the biggest, um, in terms of preparation and the biggest in terms of the energy and excitement, it's once a week. And so there's quite a buildup to a football game on a college campus or on a Sunday afternoon. Basketball is, is probably my most comfortable. It's home for me just because I know sure. the ins and outs of the, la- the language of the game, the strategy of the game. And and then I've always loved doing the softball um, or the women's volleyball championships or, or the women's soccer championships. There's always something special about following a sport through from start to finish and being being a part of those championship moments. 
that you know will um, be with these student athletes for a lifetime um, to be a part of those memories. We, we take a lot of uh, pride in, in putting the pictures and, the, and putting our voices on, on those kinds of moments. You know, a lot of the, the people that go into sports journalism, whether it's for broadcasting, reporting, writing, podcasting, etc., is because we've all loved the game for so long, but so many of us just weren't good enough to play at a high level. But the fact that you did play at a high level and then went on to be the play-by-play role rather than the analyst, because a lot of times the analysts are the former players, in what ways do you think your own playing experience, your own athletic ability at a high level in college has, has helped you maybe gain the respect of, of coaches or, or people you're working with or you know I got to imagine that that's a, a big asset for you in a lot of ways I, I think that's been tremendously important um, not only from uh, my comfort level calling games but also like you say people that I uh, encounter along the way and sort of that instant respect that that you have either knowing you've been in these positions, you've been in the locker room, you've had the ball in your hands at the end of a game in a big moment, uh, or, or knowing that you were a student athlete, uh, that there is, I, I think, moments when you're talking with coaches and players that you you have earned the right to prove to them that you can do the job. And I think that was especially important, um, being a woman in that role. Um, I, I've always had great, relationships with coaches and players where, okay, uh, uh, you, you know, I, I haven't seen a woman do this before, but I, I know you've been an athlete and you've been a player and you're a coach's kid. So I'm going to give you a chance to prove to me that, that you can do it. And, and that's all that, that I can ask for really. Um, but I, I did recognize at an early age that I, I probably wasn't going to be that Olympic athlete and I wasn't <laughs> Um, uh, certainly going to be the uh, the star quarterback or the coach in the NFL that tends to, to be the analyst. So I, I was actually drawn to the play-by-play role at a, at a very early age. And, um, you know, I, I, I looked to Pat Summerall a lot as a guy that sure. sort of paved the way in that regard. He was the former athlete that actually ended up in the play-by-play role. And, I, you know, I, I do take a lot of pride in the fact that I, I think it's just myself uh, Jim Nance and Terry Gannon, who are, you know, former D1 athletes that ended up, you know, following the play-by-play path as opposed to the analyst role. And I do think that does give us a bit of an advantage, um, understanding what those big moments are like, but also understanding what the analyst is thinking and feeling and going through in terms of making our conversation, I think, a little more in-depth about what's happening in games and around games. When you were in college and you were playing basketball, you know, a point guard for the team and obviously contributing significantly starting every game, you know, thousand point scorer, school record holder and all time assists, three time all conference. Were you still able to find enough time to to work on the things you wanted to work on and call sports for other games, whether it's, you know, just for a tape recorder for your own purposes or, you know, I'm not sure if there was a, uh, you know, a student media channel there at Lafayette, but I guess what was it like to kind of be, you know, be committing the amount of time that you and I both know Division One athletes need to commit while also, mm-hmm. um, you know, trying to, to prepare yourself for a business that is, is very difficult if you go a few years without, you know, practicing and improving your craft. Yeah. So I, I got some great advice when I was younger, and it goes back to, again, knowing exactly what I wanted to do. So e- even in high school, I got help 
from um, people and sought out advice about how to find the right path to be a play-by-play announcer. And I actually um, was told at an early age, you know what, do, be, an, be an English major, do a lot of reading and writing and establish a base and then do your broadcast journalism, do your reporting, do all that stuff um, on weekends, do all that stuff in, over the summer with internships, do all that stuff at night uh, when you know your, your classwork is done and your practice is done and your homework is done. So I, I got a head start while I was in high school uh, when it wasn't um, basketball season and I was, was playing other sports, but I had a chance to work at the local TV station. I grew up in Syracuse, so that sure. was a huge advantage as well because, of course, you have the Newhouse School there where, where I did go back to get my, my master's. And so there was, there was all kinds of local high school sports and Syracuse sports on the local stations back in those days. I was pulling cables. I was, you know, a gopher running for coffee and whatever I could to get my foot in the door. And then when I was at Lafayette, uh, you know, it, it was sitting up in the uh, bleachers during football games, you know, calling the action and then, you know, at, going to basketball practice. Uh, it was spending summers back in Syracuse working at the local TV station and again working on, um, you know, high school sports or other sports that were happening when I was home. And then certainly when I went back to grad school at Syracuse after I did all the reading and writing and established that liberal arts base at Lafayette. Then I dove into grad school as a broadcast journalism major and got a lot more experience um, in front of the mic and behind the cameras and producing and directing and getting a little flavor of, of all the different jobs that, that went into television. Our profession is unique in that, you know, when I talk to some of my friends who are outside of our business and they tell me about, you know, some of the classes they took in college or some of the professors they had and some of the more meaningful experiences along their trajectories. It's very different from ours because I, I like to think that in the journalism world, it's it's really hard to replicate, you know, in a classroom setting, the type of experience that you need to gain in order to, to be a play-by-play broadcaster or to be a writer and things like that. And so, you know, when I was at Syracuse, I, I often said that my favorite thing there was the Daily Orange by far. And I learned more in the Daily Orange student newspaper than I did in, in any classroom setting. And I know that, you know, from a broadcasting mm-hmm. standpoint, there was Citrus TV and WAER and these places that have produced tremendous, tremendous broadcasters. And I'm wondering, you know, what was your biggest takeaway or maybe your your best um, you know, piece of preparation, if you will, when you were earning your master's at Syracuse? Was it actually outside the classroom like it was for me? You know, I, I think it was a, a little bit of both in terms of inside the classroom, you you developed relationships and friendships that, that lasted a long time. And, and as you know, in, in this industry, it's still a people business. And so those relationships, and, and especially at Syracuse, when you also can tap into the alumni um, it, it's, it's a great resource to have, but you know what I, I've always learned and I always tell younger people too, when they're getting into the business, there's no, there's nothing like actual hands-on experience, whether it's, you know, when I was there working at WSYR, the local radio station and having to write copy, having to, you know, get on the air and actually read copy and, figure out, you know, sort of find your voice and those experiences you have writing things and covering sports and watching 
the other professionals do it and, and seeking out advice from some of the older, more experienced people that might be in your classes. Th- those were the things that were invaluable to me and, and sort of tapping into those resources that, that were outside the classroom. There, there's nothing like getting out there and getting some, some actual work in on, you know, on live events. You mentioned earlier that, you know, from a young age, you sort of recognized that in a field that is heavily dominated by men, if you could carve out a little niche for yourself, that there would be a nice opportunity there. And so I'm wondering what your emotions were and what you were feeling on the day that you got hired by ESPN. Did that feel like a momentous accomplishment for you and something that was, you know, really, really significant and and certainly something you should be proud of? Yeah, you know, I, I still can remember I, w- I was working locally in, in uh, Syracuse and calling um, women's basketball games for Syracuse University. And uh, I got a call from the Big East that they were going to do a Big East game of the week. And it was a huge deal. I still remember the outfit I was wearing. I had like a gold <laughs> Century 21 jacket uh, on, a, on a plane flying for an interview with the Big East. And that, that's what I had grown up on. And, and it was a huge deal. And I did get that job calling the Big East Game of the Week, which then led to calling some UConn games when they were still on public uh, television in Connecticut. And then, you know, when when those games are on in in Bristol and somebody spots you and says, hey, we, we, you know, have an opportunity to use um, this young woman on some of our our coverage. And so that was a huge deal to, you know, I, I think probably my first ESPN event was actually produced by NCAA Productions. It was on ESPN. It was the 1994 Women's Softball uh, College World Series. And, um, you know, I, I still remember what a big deal that was. And almost a little bit intimidating at first to, you know, be a part of a, an event that had the ESPN logos on it. Um, sure. And back then, I think it might have been the, the old ESPN2 logos uh, when we used to call it the Deuce. Um, so yeah, th- th- there are kind of stepping stones that you remember along the way and, and, uh, you know, you enjoy that moment when it happens and then real important, I think, to, to put your head down and, and, and get back to work because you want to continue having those moments, uh, just as important as reaching that, that height. I think one of the coolest things about your career path is that there are certain events that have become synonymous with your voice and your personality and your character. You talked about, you know, doing a season from start to finish or doing an event from start to finish. And the fact that now, you know, any young athlete that watches softball on television knows that it's going to be your voice most likely for, um, you know, the, the Women's College World Series and, you know, women's college basketball as well. You know, a tremendous presence there. Uh, do you take pride in the fact that, you know, sort of these certain events or these certain sports, um, you know, have become synonymous with, with you and the way that you, you do the job because, you know, you've had the ability to, to have longevity in those particular areas? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I we get a tremendous kick, uh, you know, our, our entire crew, for example, at the Women's College World Series, we've been together for a long time now. And, you know, there's nothing cooler than when you sit down for interviews with the players before the World Series starts. And it's, you know, somebody who's a little giddy to see you. And, oh, my gosh, I've been listening to you guys and watching you guys for, you know, my whole life. And then here they are showing up at the at the World Series or, you know, uh, it's so cool 10 years later when you run into somebody and they say, God, that was such a, um, you know, great experience being a part of the Women's College World Series. And now I'm 
I'm out in the working world and, and, you know, I'm a mom and, and I love talking to my kids about that experience. And our, our team still talks about that game and, and the call of the game and, and all the great pictures involved in it. So, you know, you, you kind of take it as an honor. You take it as a huge responsibility because you know that this will be a part of people's lives for forever. And you want to make sure that you get, you get the moment right. And it's so important for these student athletes and the, and the coaches and their families. And so it, it is a big responsibility and we want to, we want to hold ourselves to a very high standard when you're a part of those moments. Do you ever get nervous before a big game? Oh, always. Yeah. I, I think if you're not feeling, you know, some butterflies, I've, I've always said, uh, you know, goosebumps are God's way of telling you that it matters to you and that it's exciting and that it's meaningful. And so I always want to, you know, feel a little bit of that. It's, it's not like a, uh, it's more of an excitement than, sure. um, than, than nerves, but, uh, it, it, it's always cool to, you know, get ready to go on the air and those feelings, you have the goosebumps, you still get, you know, prior to kickoff, knowing that it's, a. Uh, it's a, a real honor and a privilege to be able to do a job that you love to do, and it really doesn't feel like work. Yeah, one of my favorite things when I was covering the Packers is when I had the opportunity before a game to be able to go down to field level. And certainly that's not a time when you can conduct interviews or anything like that, but you can really kind of get a, a sort of, you can kind of absorb a little bit of the game day environment that way. You can see what the mood is for the players. You can go down and, you know, just briefly touch the grass and kind of get a feel for it. And I always used to like to do that. And, you know, I don't know if it consciously translated to any story or anything, but it kind of helped me sort of feel like I was part of it and, and sort of get in the right mindset for what I wanted to do, which was write, you know, the most accurate story, the most descriptive story I could when the game was over. Is there anything that you like to do on game day that sort of, you know, settles you in or do you have a routine before before kickoff of a big game? You know, it, it goes back to uh, my days as an English major, and, and I do love to write. I do love vocabulary and, and finding the right way to say things or the best way to say things. So I usually have my thesaurus out at some point in the morning of a game. And, oh, wow. And, you know, we we do have – well, it's on, on the phone now, dictionary.com. <laughs> but <laughs> um, I, I do like to – I like the challenge of finding, you know – a great sentence or two to set the tone because we don't have a whole lot of time. Um, you know, it's not like we're writing an article. We may only have a sentence or two to set the tone in the open. Um, and so you want to, as best you can try and capture the, uh, the feeling of what's happening, say in the stadium, uh, pregame. I, I love, we love going down on the field. Our whole crew will go down there and and, and, you know, the smells and the sounds and the sights and, and what's happening and to put voice to that, to put a feeling on that moment is, is something that I, I love that challenge sort of of game day to be able to find the, the, the right phrasing to set the tone. You know, in 2017, you had the opportunity to become the first woman to ever uh, call a national broadcast for an NFL game and the first woman to call an NFL game at all in 30 plus years back when Gail Searins did a regional broadcast in 87. And and I'm curious what that moment felt like for you. And, you know, maybe you talk to your parents or siblings or friends and, you know, what did it mean to the people around you, the people who supported you through, you know, what has certainly been a, a long and successful career path that kind of came to 
into a moment of of national uh, and historic significance on that day in 2017 yeah. when you called that that uh, Chargers Broncos game. Mm-hmm. It it was uh, there. There was a lot going on around that. Obviously, um, you want to um, be your best at the big moments, whether it's a player or coach, or even for us as as announcers. You know, we want to make sure that all the time and the preparation that we've put into something and, and when that big moment comes, you, you, you can hit the ground running and, and be your best in, in those moments. And so we were really proud of, of what we put on tape and, and how we called that game. It, it ended up being a fabulous game uh, with a uh, fantastic finish. That That's something that we all hope for as broadcasters. So, you know, you're you're in the moment, Michael. You're doing your job. You're doing your preparation, and and that's the most significant thing. It it it's always been my day to day. So from that that standpoint, I tried as best I could to approach it um, from a preparation standpoint, like it was any other. But you do realize when you're going through it the, the significance of it. You're doing a lot more interviews, and you're on the radio, and you're on TV, and. And there was a little girl that was at the game um, and, and with her parents, and I spotted her pregame when we were down on the field. And, and she said that, you know, she was holding a big sign that said she's got next, and she had her ESPN microphone with her. And, and so those moments are pretty cool. You, you understand the significance of, you know, doing something that a lot of people, you know, look at and say, okay, I, I've got a dream, whether it's similar to mine or it's their own dream, I, I can do that too. And so... Um, I, I actually had uh, had some of my college teammates uh, came out to Denver and were there to support me, and that was wow. really cool because uh, they re- they they remembered me uh, when uh, we I was sitting in the bleachers talking to myself, uh, <laughs> honing my craft, and so that that was fun that that they were a part of that. Um, you know, my husband and and uh, his kids were there, and and it was actually it was quite a moment. You know, the, the Denver Broncos took great care of us, and. And so they had some um, some Denver gear, and, and, and they were sitting in the bleachers. Well, of course, um, my husband is a lifelong Chargers fan. Okay. And so there was a moment at the end of the game when the Chargers were making their comeback, and they're sitting with their Denver Broncos gear on, in you know, surrounded by Denver Broncos fans, and the Chargers score a touchdown, and my husband leaps into the air celebrating the Chargers score, <laughs> and everyone around is sort of looking at him like, what the heck is this guy doing? <laughs> That's awesome. So I guess they had a they had a fun conversation with all the with all the people around him, and everybody was laughing, but. Uh, so you, you kind of remember those those moments with the people that mean the most to you. You know, I had a great conversation with my brothers and and uh, and my dad during the day, and um, certainly uh, pointed to the heavens. And uh, my mom, uh, who wasn't with us anymore, um, you know, she was my biggest fan growing up. So you, you have special moments like that, and um, it, it was a it was a really cool moment, and. You know, I, I hear um, her Doris Burke talking a lot about this um, after her experience this summer, calling the NBA Finals, and then you know, my friend Jessica Mendoza calling the Major League Baseball, you know, the World Series on radio. It's uh, it's pretty cool to think that there are there are young sets of eyes watching what you do and taking inspiration from that. It's, it's a pretty cool feeling. Well, that was going to be the next question I asked you as, as sports media has become uh, more diverse, more gender inclusive and, and don't get me wrong. There's still a long way to go. It's still a field that 
needs another infusion of, of diversity and, and gender equality without question. But over the years, have you started to hear from, from more young girls who want to be the next Beth Moens, the next Doris Burke, and all those types of things? Are there more of an interest and is there more of an appreciation for what you do as sports starts to open up a little bit more? I think so. Yeah, I, I, I really do. Uh, you know, it's the play by play is still a challenge. I think for a lot of young girls, it's not necessarily a natural feeling to want to be sort of the leader and in charge and be the point guard or the quarterback of a broadcast. Uh, but I do see more women getting into play by play. I think minor league baseball in particular is a place that I encourage a lot of play-by-play announcers, men or women, to to get into because you have an opportunity at the minor league level to get on the air and get a lot of repetitions in over the course of a summer. And so, you know, there's a handful of of young women now that are calling uh, minor league baseball and are making really good inroads. Uh, There are a few other uh, women now at, at ESPN that are getting opportunities, um, Tiffany Green and, and Courtney Lyle getting an opportunity to call some college football even, which I, I think is fabulous to see. So it, it's encouraging. There is still a lot of work to do. There there are still, I, I think, a lot of people, Michael, that think, well, if we have one woman doing it, then, then we're covered, we're fine, we check a box. Right. And uh, I hope that, that more and more women will be judged based on their merits and get opportunities even if there is another woman doing it there there should not be a quota on that on my end there are certain writers that i feel the need to read whenever they have a new story because i like their style or i think i can learn from them or emulate something that they do are there broadcasters that you know when your busy schedule does have a you know an hour or two free or if you can dvr a game that you say man i want to listen to this person because i like the way that they do it yeah, and I, I think we're fortunate uh, coming out of Syracuse that, that that is built in for us in terms of the alumni. And for so, sure. you know, uh, I, I've been able to, you know, pick the brain a lot of, of guys like Mike Tirico and, and Sean McDonough. And, and you know, I love listening to a Dave Pash and a Dave O'Brien and 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 guys like that that have, have done a terrific job over the years. And so, you know, those are, those are just a handful of of people that come to mind. And then, you know, it's, it's great to see some of the younger folks that have come up, you know, Jason Bonetti is doing some great things now, another Syracuse guy. So I I enjoy uh, listening to them. You know, I have some friends in the business that I like to check in on uh, Lisa Byington, you know, with the big 10 network at Kate Scott out in the, in the Bay area are, are other uh, women that are getting opportunities to, to do some play by play work in football. So that that's encouraging uh, to try and, and see how they develop as well. You know, one of the, one of the questions I was curious about asking you is if you could kind of pick any event, you know, and certainly network broadcast rights factor into this because, you know, certain channels have the, the opportunity and have won the bids to broadcast certain events, so it makes it complicated. But if those complications were erased and you could pick any event, um, you know, whether it's the Olympics or the Final Four or the Super Bowl or anything that, that interests you the most, is there an event that you would love to try your hand at at some point that you haven't gotten a chance to do yet? Oh, gosh, you're, you're, you're always reaching for the stars. You're always looking for the next big thing. Um, so I, I actually... I. I uh, and slated to call uh, Olympic softball. So I'm really looking forward to that. I was wishing I, I would have been able to do that this year, but hopefully next summer uh, have the opportunity to work on the Olympics for the first time. That That is, uh, you know, 
uh, one of the things that's on my, my wish list. Uh, I, I've grown up, you know, watching golf. I'd, I'd love the opportunity, and, and I'm an avid golfer, so I'd love the opportunity to call some golf uh, at, at some point. Uh, my dad, you know, growing up in a big Irish Catholic family, we watched a lot of Notre Dame football when we sure. were younger. I'd, I'd love to be able to call a game in South Bend. Uh, you know, lifelong Yankee fan. I, I grew up on the Bronx Zoo Yankee teams back in the <laughs> late 70s. And and so uh, to be able to call a game at Yankee Stadium would be would be a dream come true. And um, you know, in any any big games, playoff. I'd love a, I'd love a shot at an NFL playoff game one day. I think that'd be pretty cool too. Was the uh, Women's World Cup experience in Germany a unique one for you? That was fabulous. I I loved uh, being a part of that and having the opportunity to go to Germany. Uh, that that is something that uh, is also on the bucket list to get back into World Cup. Um, you know, hopefully that may come our way one day. You know, I'm a big uh, Premier League fan. I'd, I'd sure. love to, you know, get a shot at the at the Premier League one day. Um, you know, there's a lot of work I think to be done in terms of American announcers getting an opportunity to do that. But um, I, I love listening to uh, Arlo White in the NBC broadcast of the of the Premiership. Um, but yeah, the the, uh, the Women's World Cup. You know, and and to be able to to do it live and to be you know in a in a foreign country and sort of soaking all that. And we actually had a guy uh, on our crew that we traveled with um, that could speak German and and help us out. And and that that was a tremendous experience to be a part of. And I guess the last question I had for you is, you know, I'm sure there's a, a handful or, or maybe even more of your calls, whether it's a big shot or a big moment or just a game in general that you look back on and, and you say, yeah, this this one should go on, on the mantle. I was really proud of this one. You know, is there one that, that kind of sticks out to you as maybe one of your favorite calls you've ever had? Oh, boy. You know, the um, the 17-inning game with uh, Florida and Oklahoma – uh, in uh, a couple of years ago at the Women's College World Series, that was an epic, an epic moment. Um, I, I look back at uh, there was a uh, an undefeated Penn State volleyball team going for a national championship, playing Nebraska in Omaha in the national semifinals, uh, where I, I think uh, Coach Karai and I laid out almost the entire fifth set. The, the drama was just <laughs> off the charts. And uh, probably, you know, the, the women's final four that I got to call uh, Brianna Stewart's fourth national championship and the, the opportunity to work with my good friends, Doris Burke and, and Holly Rowe. And um, uh, Brianna Stewart is from my hometown, yeah. North Syracuse. And so and they were playing Syracuse, of course, in the finals. That that was a, a really memorable night and uh, I, I think uh you know one of the best broadcasts that that i've ever been a part of awesome awesome well beth thank you so much for taking the time to join me on the show this was a lot of fun and i love hearing about the way people approach their job and the way that they approach their craft and so it was it was awesome to hear some some of those insights and behind the scenes moments and i'm really looking forward to hearing more of your calls throughout football season and knock on wood a basketball season as well that yeah. would be awesome so again thank you so much for the time beth i really appreciate it thank you for having me michael my pleasure
So there you have it, a conversation with ESPN and CBS play-by-play broadcaster Beth Mowens. I really enjoyed talking to her and hearing some of those stories. In particular, I love the little anecdote she shared about waking up on game day before she's about to broadcast a game and looking through a thesaurus on her phone trying to find new words or new phrases or anything she can use to strengthen the broadcast and spice it up in ways that don't sound repetitive. I think that's really cool and something that I hadn't heard before. And it's something like that that you can hear when she talks about her craft and how much time she puts into it. It's obvious that she really respects the job that she has. She understands the role she plays uh, from a social standpoint, being one of the only female broadcasters in the business. And so she takes everything she does really seriously and pours herself into it and does the best possible job she can because she understands that, you know, in addition to just herself, she's representing uh, young women trying to break into the business everywhere and it was really neat hearing about how she shoulders that load and does everything she can to the absolute best of her ability. Additional episodes of this podcast are available on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Alexa, and just about anywhere else you listen to shows. If you happen to be listening on an Apple device, once again, we encourage you to leave a star rating, preferably five stars if you like the show, and maybe a comment with your thoughts on this episode or anything else that caught your attention from Cohen's Corner. I really appreciate all the feedback and hearing from you guys every time I put out a new episode. It means a lot to me that you take a little bit of time out of your week to listen to the product I'm able to to offer, and it's just awesome knowing that there are a number of you that that listen every single week, no matter what. Our listenership continues to grow, and we've had some of our biggest episodes in the last couple of months. That's been really, really awesome. I'm flattered. It means a lot to me, and hopefully it continues. So until the next episode of this podcast, hope you have a terrific rest of your day, a terrific rest of your week, and I will talk to you again soon. Mm